could say that the constraints knock us back and we could say that constraints make us fail, okay? And when we think of freedom and when we want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol, uh, very often when I ask people why, it's like, well, I, I want that sense of freedom. We are really thinking of living an unconstrained life, okay? But this is just one way of looking at constraints. And this talk today, it really aims to show uh, why the opposite is true and how constraints can be fertile, enabling, and desirable. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol, and I spend every wicked moment in my life doing the same. How are you doing today? It is Thursday, the 23rd of February, and in two days, 30, no, maybe three days, I'm flying off to Vietnam. I'm going to be working there uh, with the Triton Poker Tour for three weeks, so I'm going to be away and uh, that means I um, won't be able to line up any guests until I get back. Uh, so what I decided to do today is give you a little peek inside of what life is like in Strive. Okay, so one of the benefits of having a Strive community membership is receiving hot seat coaching from myself, one-to-one coaching from myself, or uh, group presentations and webinars and keynote presentations and all that kind of thing. Usually, I rack up to the mic twice a week uh, to do that with the Strive community. And what I'm going to share with you today is something that I shared with the Strive community this week. Um, so I'm going to uh, share with you a presentation that I did on constraints, okay? Um, and what benefit there is in switching your perspective from believing that the world out there and the circumstances out there and the people out there, they're all they're all there to cause you misery, pain, and suffering. And uh, you're, you are at the effect of everything out there. Uh, to reviewing uh, circumstance and external people and stimuli and rules and situations and governments as being your ally, right? So looking at the world as your ally. Um, so viewing a constraint in a very, very different way. So we're going to be talking about that today. I do urge you at the end of uh, the so if you um if you're listening to this and you're not watching on YouTube, uh, go to the One Thousand Days Sober YouTube channel uh, and watch it on there as well because that is where the presentation is. All right, um, and there is some slides on there that you might want to see, or you can email me at the strive method at gmail.com and I'll send you a copy of the slides. Reason being, right at the end. There are some questions uh, that you would maybe want to answer uh, or work in groups with people to answer that I really think will. I mean, here's the crux of it, right? I want to show today that you can pinpoint a person in your life that you have a lot of negative energy towards. And using this presentation, you can turn that around and look at them in a different light and release that energy, thus removing maybe a trigger that leads you to drink alcohol, for example, right? That's what the aim of the goal is today. And there are a lot of questions at the end of the PowerPoint presentation that you want to be looking at. I'll tell you what I'll do, actually. I will I will write those in the show notes as well. So wherever you are at your podcast player, look down on the show notes and you'll see those questions. But definitely, definitely, don't just listen to this podcast. Really do the work, all right? It's really important 
The difference between uh, rationally and intellectually understanding something and embodying something is what Strive is all about. Strive exists as a community to give you a sandbox to which you can play in and you can role play and really live these uh, first principles of living a conscious life and to embody what it means, right? Really, really different, okay? So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up. Here is a presentation on constraints. If you have any questions whatsoever on this material, give us a shout at the strive method at gmail.com, including whether or not you want to join our strive. And, you know, forgive me at the outset, I cough a little bit and sneeze a little bit during this presentation because I've been a little bit sick, but it will not detract from the value you're going to get out of it. All right. Anyway, over to the presentation. So I'm going to talk about constraints today. And I think it will be really useful to both of you um, anyway. I've spoke about some of these concepts before, um, but <clears throat> I want to bring constraints in with viewing the world as an ally, and I think you'll find it quite useful. So when you think of the word constraint, just have a think about what words come up in your mind, okay? Glynis has done this exercise with me before, but you could do this as well, Nikki. Just in your head right now, just think to yourself, okay, I'm thinking of the word constraint. What words do your mind conjure up, okay? And if you're anything like me, when you think of the word constraints, words like obstacle, impossible, block come to mind maybe, right? Now, this isn't true for everybody. Some people are able to see constraints in a different way. But I would say the vast majority of people that I've worked with see constraints in this way. Like it's a block, it's an obstacle, it's an impossible, but we cannot get past this, right? It's a, it's an impediment to progress. So constraints have a bit of a bad rap, right? And you could argue that by definition, um, our societal way of looking at it is constraints are really a negative thing that prevents us from acting as we would like to because it restricts us in some important way, right? We could say that constraints hold us down. We could say that constraints knock us back. And we could say that constraints make us fail. Okay. And when we think of freedom and when we want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol, uh, very often when I ask people why, it's like, well, I, I want that sense of freedom. We are really thinking of living an unconstrained life. Okay. An unconstrained life. But this is just one way of looking at constraints. And this talk today, it really aims to show uh, why the opposite is true and how constraints can be fertile, enabling, and desirable, and why they are catalytic forces that stimulate exciting new approaches and possibilities, and how they can make us more than we were rather than less than we could be. Okay, so I want to show you why we should see constraints uh, from the lens of beauty and not beast. Okay. So the Strive Method contains many what I call first principles, framework or guideposts of ways of living the life, right? And one of these first principles is really experiencing the world as an ally. And if you experience the world as an ally, you're going to be emanating from self-energy. And this, is, um, this first principle is not one that I created myself. It comes from the Conscious Leadership Group, uh, but it's one that's super powerful and that I think that if everybody at Strive could use this as a springboard from which to view all of life, if you remember the importance, another first principle, actually, the, the, the importance of choosing context over content, you know? So like 
you're going to talk to somebody about something really challenging because you're triggered by them. Um, rather than focusing on what you're going to talk about, focus on how you're going to talk to him about it, which is I'm going to experience this person as an ally. And I'll go through the um, definition of ally from our perspective in a, in a short while. But I just want you to just realize that that's the context that we're coming from, how we speak to somebody. We're going to speak to them like they're an ally. Now, what am I going to talk about? I'm going to talk, tell a person that I think he's a jerk, right? It's very different than I'm going to experience this person as an enemy or a constraint that is an obstacle, and I'm going to tell him he's a jerk. You're going to get a different response, right? The opposite of this is committing to see other people and circumstances as obstacles and impediments, uh, constraints, right? But you can also experience the world as an ally by looking at the lens of constraint as well, but you're looking at it in a different way. But if you do commit to see other people and circumstances as obstacles and impediments, you're going to be emanating from your ego and your parts. So experiencing the world as an ally is above the line and experiencing them as obstacles and impediments are below the line. All right. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about reactive versus conscious leaders. And I just want you to think that you are a leader. You know, very often we, again, we we think of leaders, like I asked you earlier on to think of um, the word constraint. And when you think of leader, I know when I think of leader, I think of football captains uh, or football managers or um, managers in companies or uh, prime ministers or people like Gandhi, right? Like that, that's what I see. But we're all leaders, you know. I, I believe that if we emanate more and more from self-energy uh, and that our work is to do that, and if we do, then we discover that innate wisdom within ourselves, that the answers are all within us. And that is where we will find our leadership qualities and our leadership qualities will emerge. And every single one of you on Strive are leaders. You, I, I think I posted this week something in response to what Anna said, that when one person on Strive wins, it's because everybody has contributed that from, from a place of leadership, from a foundation of being good, strong leaders, just supporting, loving, and that kind of thing, right? But there are different types of leaders. We can be reactive or we can be conscious, right? So what is uh, a reactive leader? So you've probably seen this um, this triangle before. Uh, it's a drama triangle. So if you're being reactive, and you know, let's just start off by saying that all human beings um, come have this in them. And actually, the Conscious Leadership Group said in their book, uh, The 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership, that when they go visit companies and interview the leaders, I think they said like 95 to 98% of them emanate from this reactive place. And this is the to me energy, the to me. So we're saying that the cause of my condition is outside of me, that life is happening to me. Okay. Now, this is really important. It, it doesn't mean that people who are leading this way are unhappy. Okay. They could be quite happy, but they might not be aware that they are pinning the cause of their well-being on external factors. Imagine you have someone in a reactive state who's very well off financially, has a beautiful wife, has lovely kids, et cetera, et cetera, and, but is full of self-loathing. But it's kind of balanced by the fact that they have this glorious life and they, they're really happy about it. And, and this happiness is uh, part real, part fake. Uh, and it enables them to, it keeps them safe. It means they don't have to go into the drama triangle and start poking and prodding around in there. So you will see in, in, in life, people who seem really, really happy and still recognize them as being in a reactive state. 
And this to me style of leadership is known as victim consciousness, where we uh, we're in a state of drama, we're below the line, and we're either playing victim, hero, or villain, and we are making other people around us, or the environment around us, or our home, or rules, or animals, you know, the weather, the world. We're making that that those that are outside of us heroes, victims, and villains as well. And people in this style of leadership. When we talk about the beauty and the beast, they're seeing the beast in constraints. So when you're in reactive leadership mode, you're really seeing uh, the dark side of constraints that you cannot move and shift by them. And react being in the reactive state of leadership is really being parts activated, right? Your parts are activated and they find it really difficult to get past obstacles and obstructions. And most of the time, your parts don't want to do that because it's unsafe and it's unknown territory. Like there's a wall in front of you. And although that wall is a block and a constraint, it actually keeps your parts safe. And if you used to break through that wall and you don't know what's on the other side, there's no mental roadmap for that, then your parts may be unwilling to do that, whereas self-energy is more than happy to break through that wall because self knows that they can handle anything that's beyond it. Another aspect of reactive to me um, uh, way of thinking is polarized thinking. And this happens particularly in uh, people who become addictive. And again, this thinking, the people are either with me or they're against me, okay? Or another classic is people are better than me or they're less than me, okay? They play the status game. And what happens when we get into this polarized thinking against people? Um, and it doesn't have to be people. If you think this could be race, right? Like we could think like um, white people are better than black people. Um, we could say that. Um, heterosexuals are better than homosexuals. The police force are uh, against me, not with me, right? So it doesn't have to be individuals. It can be race. It could be xenophobia. It could be all manner of isms, right? Our polarized thinking. But when we do this, what we do is we actually get all the evidence we need, right? So if we in a relationship with someone and we say, this person is a bitch, right? She's a bitch. She always treats me like shit. She's childish. She's way, way, way below the line. Um, there's something definitely wrong with her. Then our reticular activating system, our RAS, that part of your brain that needs to filter out what is unimportant to you in the world so you don't go insane. Because if you, if you look around the room now and see everything that is around there, and then appreciate that you have five senses. So you're hearing so many things. You're seeing so many things. You're smelling and touching so many things. Your reticular activating system has to filter a lot of the stuff of that out. So the way that it works is it, it listens to your thought processes and your belief systems and your paradigms. And it says, right, what is important to me? What do you want? And what do you not, what you, don't you want? Um, so if you think someone's a bitch, you're just like, never going to change. Then you, you're going to get that. You're going to see that. You're going to see that they're a bitch and you're going to see they're never going to change. Similarly, you can spin that around the other way. And maybe you just see the good in somebody because you really want to see the good in somebody. Imagine somebody's causing you physical harm in a relationship or gaslighting you, um, but you're really afraid of leaving them. And then maybe you see just all the good parts of them and you've got your friends say, why don't you fucking leave them? And you just can't see. Uh, you can't see it because you don't want to see it, right? So you get all the evidence that you need. So that's the reactive uh, state. So I'm just going to talk about being in a conscious leadership state. So being above the line, right? There are four states of leadership. You may have learn them in the strife method depending on how far you went with it but we will reintroduce the four stages of leadership as a as a quest at some point 
And the four stages of leadership come from Michael Beckwith. Uh, Michael Beckwith is the the thought leader behind the Agape Spiritual Church that Liza and I and Zia used to go to in uh, Culver City in Los Angeles when we lived there. And a very inspirational, inspirational man. And he came up with these four styles of leadership. One of them was to me, which we just said, which is the outside in way of thinking, the reactive. But then this conscious leadership styles of as me, by me, and through me. And we won't talk about those today. We'll have another presentation for that. But just be aware that conscious, a conscious leader is either coming from the energy, energy of as me, by me, or through me. And it's, but it, they're all the same. And it's all, it's the inside out way of leading. Okay, we don't need our approval and we don't need our safety from outside of us because we supply it to ourselves through our self energy, um, really bringing the internal family system together under the umbrella of love. And the good thing about being conscious leadership, and you would have felt this in your time, is you can shift out of states of comparison and you can shift out of states of competition to see everybody as equally valuable, including yourself. Okay. Whereas reactive leaders, they get stuck in a comparison and a competition game, uh, the need to be right. Like how many of you have relationship difficulties because of the need to be right, right? You need to make it right. That will be comparison and competition. And conscious, conscious leaders look at that very differently. So I'm going to talk about allies because that first principle that I talked about was uh, let's witness the world as allies. And very often people are amongst our biggest constraints. And if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen this post the other day. It's a gravestone and someone's put the epitaph on there. I would have done some really cool shit, but my husband wouldn't let me, right? So this is just a, a tongue-in-cheek example of looking at, I mean, this this is classic my mom, right? Like um, my dad will likely die before my mom. And when he does, she will probably find it really difficult to really deal with that and experience life because she's leaned on him so much. She can't drive. She she tr lets him drive. She doesn't do the shopping. She lets him do the shopping. He doesn't take her anywhere, so she never goes anywhere. And I'm pretty sure because of the conversations I've had with her, like I had one conversation with her this weekend, and she was she, actually this weekend she blamed her children uh, for not being able to live the life that she wanted to live. But I know that she blames my dad as well. Um, and so this is a good example of her looking at her husband as a constraint. Like he is a constraint in my life. Well, of course, we know as people who spend a lot of time in conscious energy that my dad is not a constraint to my mom. Uh, he is, but we, he doesn't have to be an obstacle. My mom could look at him and go, well, okay, <clears throat> there's this guy who is really insecure and he doesn't want me to go do stuff. And um, that's the challenge. How do I get him uh, to agree for me to do it? Because I want to do it and I don't want to have this epitaph on my gravestone. So different ways of viewing uh, people. Now, when we think of allies, you know, when I think of allies, the first thing that comes up to me is war. Like we're in the trenches and uh, all the people around me are with me and going to fight. So we do typically think of allies as people who unite with us to pursue a common goal. So what is that common goal when it comes to the strive first principle of viewing the world as an ally? Um, this is really important because our parts will have a defense. Some of our parts will have a defense about making our enemies our allies. Even now, you may be thinking, no, you may be thinking of a person right now and you may be thinking, I can never see that person as an ally. So this description of how I, what our common goal is may help you with that. So the Strive Method postulates that the common goal of our allies is our learning and growth. So take my mom, for example, she's looking at my dad 
And I'm saying to my mom, look at him as an ally. And she's like, he can never be my ally. I said, no, 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 mom, look at him from the perspective of the common goal that he is there to increase your learning and growth. And he doesn't even have to do anything, right? It doesn't matter what he does. I want you to look at him as contributing to your learning and growth. And that's the common goal here. So the common goal here is our learning and growth. Linus, this is your learning and growth. Nikki, this is your learning and growth. And I want you to look at everybody in the world, every country, every rule, every person, every faction, every aspect of culture, everything like alcohol. And I want you to look at it and say, how does this thing contribute to my learning and growth, right? That is the lens through which this first principle sparks into life. And because of that, we do not need other people to sign up to our way of thinking or behaving to be an ally. Back to my mom in the kitchen this weekend, right? She was really, really defensive over a friend that couldn't drink anymore because he had liver disease. But then she went on how it's perfectly okay for people to drink alcohol and that this guy's lost his soul now that he can't drink alcohol. And she was looking at me as if to say, you know, and uh, yeah, you and your stupid shitty kind of like strife work, you don't understand this, you know? And I could look at her and, and I could be like, wow, she's my enemy right now, right? Or I could look at her and be like, okay, so my mom has a thing going on with my views around alcohol. I don't need to persuade her about my views because that is not the lens through which I'm observing her right now. I'm observing her and I'm thinking, wow, it's really important to my learning and growth that I understand that not everybody is going to be happy when I start helping people to become people who don't drink alcohol. In fact, some people will be very, very angry and will view me as an enemy and will do everything in their power to shut me down. How can I learn and grow from this, right? So if you can consciously experience people in this way, they're always going to be instrumental to your growth, right? Always. Now, sometimes you can select an ally, okay? So at the moment, Nikki and Glynis, you're allies to each other. And in in and you may not have selected each other to be your ally to start with, but somewhere along the journey, you did. Somewhere along the journey, you encountered each other in strive and energy pulled you together and you're like, I want to choose this person to be my ally. Um, I'm your ally, right? Both of you chose me to help you to become more conscious human beings, okay? But I want to encourage you to go a layer deeper and see everybody as your ally, even your worst enemy, okay? And to consider that everyone, right, all people support discovering an aspect of yourself that you really couldn't see without them, right? Because you have blind spots, you have mirrors, and you don't, you're not aware of them. I'll give you a really great example. Yesterday, I was doing this presentation for my poker community. And um, one of the guys there in Australia, I, I asked him to give us an example of where he was viewing someone as an ally, as, a, as an enemy. And he told me this beautiful story of how he recently was in the Philippines with a friend and uh, he was with, his, they were with their wives and they ordered a pizza and the price for the whole meal was like 20 bucks. And the guy that Andreas was with started to get the menu and, um, and itemize it. And Andreas said this really triggered him because it was only 20 bucks. And Andreas was like, no, don't do that. I'll pay for it if it's a problem. And then he was like, and the other guy was like, no, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to pay for what we bought. And Andres said, it triggered me so much. And I said, what did it, why did it trigger you? And he said, I have no idea. And then I opened it up to the rest of the group. And I said, can, does anyone remember anything that Andres has said in previous group coaching sessions that relates to this? And all the hands shot up 
because everybody remembers Andreas telling us of a huge trigger he has with his mum around money and around how tight she is and around how that has always been a real problem for him as a poker player because she doesn't want him to lose money. And he couldn't see it until everybody in the group pointed it out to him because he had a blind spot, right? So just consider that all people support discovering an aspect of yourself that you couldn't see without. So this person in Andreas's case, itemizing a bill. Okay, Um, we can look at him as a penny pincher. What if we looked at him and thought, wow, that's incredibly vulnerable and incredibly brave for him to itemize a bill? Maybe that shows that he is not worried about the approval of other people. And maybe Andreas is worried about the approval of other people because he has a rule that says he would never itemize a bill because that is in some way a shame, a shameful or guilty or humiliating or embarrassing. But it will be due, it will be due to him wanting approval. And that will track back to his mum when he was younger, but he won't see that. But if we are more practiced and embodied in his first principle of seeing everyone as allies, then at least we're asking ourselves a question. You know, we're doing our check-ins at the end of the day and we're look, thinking back and we're saying, why did Fred trigger me today? And then we're going into this exploration of how can I see what they did as a way of learning for me? Okay. Yeah. And here's another important thing as well is... Um, I'm your ally, Glynis, right? I'm your ally, Nikki. But my declaration of that, my behaviors, my words, it doesn't make me your ally, okay? What makes me your ally is your choice of the lens through which you see me. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. I'm Me telling you I'm your ally, it doesn't make me your ally or neither do my behaviors or my words. You had to make the choice that I am your ally or you have to make the choice that I'm here um, to help you in your common goal of your learning and your growth. Okay. Imagine you've been married to someone for 20 years, 30 years, whatever, not even married to them, just in a relationship with them. Could be a parent, it, it doesn't matter. And you, you're fighting all the time. And they turn around and say, But I love you, right? I love you and I'm here for you and I'll do anything for you, right? So they're declaring that they are an ally and they're, they're intending to do everything that you need. But if you're looking at them with resentment, and anger and frustration and a lack of trust. Um, maybe you cannot shift your choice of the lens uh, through which you see them. Maybe you are always going to see them from a reactive state. And if you do, it's going to be really, really difficult to use this person. And you, you're you're actually going to lose out. You're going to lose out on a wealth of learning opportunities with it. So the really important question becomes: Are you willing to see this person and these circumstances as an ally from your learning? Because if you're not, don't go there, right? Imagine we're doing one-on-one coaching and I can see that um, you are holding some really dark energy towards somebody in your life. And I can see that this energy is uh, dragging you below the line. It is uh, impacting the way you're thinking, the way you're feeling. It's impacting you on a physical and mental health uh, related issue. And it's taking up energy that we could really use to be above the line in itself energy, right? And if I see that, it wouldn't be right for me as a coach to push you towards fixing that if I could see that you are not willing to even see this person as an ally. Because what could happen is you'll go into that situation, but you won't be all in, like your heart won't be all in, and you will find it difficult to get out of the reactive state. And you'll probably end up fighting, and then you'll probably come back to me in the deep in the Dharma Triangle, and I will suddenly be the villain for trying to persuade you to see this other person as as a... a partner in your in your uh, pursuit of learning and growth 
So you really, 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 your willingness uh, to see somebody differently is really essential for any shifts to occur, right? Like it's uh, 100% on you, you know? I'm just going to talk about pressure a little bit here. So the active leaders, the leaders that come from ego and parts, they actually see obstacles when they're encountering challenges, right? But conscious leaders don't. You know, they they see these obstacles, these constraints as, as uh, something very, very different, like puzzles to solve. And this is because the conscious leaders, they understand the benefit and the power uh, and the learning potential of pressure. You know, if you think about feeling triggered to drink alcohol, you could look at it in many, many ways. But let's just be polarized for a second for the aid of learning. We could look at the pressure. We, we look at the pressure of the craving as being overwhelming and as being a bad thing, <clears throat> something that we don't want, um, something that is uh, dastardly, disgusting, horrible. I don't like it. Maybe to help you deal with your cravings, I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching with you, and I am deliberately asking you and guiding you to your window, to your limits of your window of tolerance, to actually help you to increase the pressure of your craving. Uh, to show you that you can handle it, and you are viewing the pressure of this situation in a reactive way, right? Very negative, very below the line. Again, pointing music, using me as a as a villain, and you're a victim. Or you could respond to that pressure, and you could be like, almost like, okay, bring it on, right? Like, bring it on. Like, I I I trust in myself. I trust in my innate wisdom. I trust in Lee. I trust that um, that this pressure will not will not destroy me it may break me a little bit it um and that's okay because usually when something breaks down there is great change at the other side of it right so you can look at pressure from two very different angles and the conscious leaders look at it as okay there's pressure here this is good this is going to stretch me i'm going to grow right now right really important to just take a breath and to discern the different state that you're in. Um, positive disintegration by Krasimir Dabrowski is a good example of this, right? If you remember the um, the metaphor of the caterpillar and the butterfly, uh, that we we find ourselves in this uni-level state, right? This um, this state where we're not really consciously aware, we're not thinking, we're just going through life guided by the rules of society. We're like really are the caterpillar. At some point, you're going to dissolve like the caterpillar. And you're going to positively disintegrate. You're going to go through a process of rebuilding in your cocoon, and you're going to come out as that butterfly, right? Through those different layers of uh, multi-levelness, as uh, Krasimir Dabrowski talks about. But you're not going to do any of this if you are consistently um, living in a reactive leadership state, if your parts are activated. So just think of pressure as a catalyst for ideas to be born, old systems to break down, uh, to make way for new ones, right? I have a poker player. I'm coaching at the moment. And in our stable, one of the coaches that he actually, he actually joined because one of these coaches was in our, or one of the founding members. And he was really excited to learn poker from this guy. And he's left. And we've hired a new head coach. And this, of a poker, this poker player is like, I'm really angry. And I'm like, why are you angry? And he's like, um, I, I have nothing to learn from this guy. So he's feeling pressure, right? He's feeling pressure that we are asking him to have training with somebody uh, different. And he is coming in with a reactive state. He's looking at this guy as a constraint. He's saying, no, this guy is not up to my level. So he's using polarized thinking. He's thinking that he's better than him. He's looking at him in a way that he's competition. 
and he's looking at him as a constraint. Whereas I'm trying to guide him and teach him, and it's really difficult to be like, okay, we're under pressure right now, but to which you'll say, no, I'm not. We're under pressure right now, and there's a potential for change, and you're resisting against it. What if we leaned into it? What if we leaned into it with the mindset that we know nothing, and that this guy is here to teach us and guide us and is our ally in our learning and growth? And what if we switch the lens and look at him like that? What if we go into those coaching sessions in that way? Okay, so that's just one example. Another example, and I won't go into it too much here because you you already know the story, and that's my story of alcoholism, right? You know, the pressure of that you feel when your life is falling apart and you see alcohol or the removal of it from your life as the catalyst of change brings a lot of pressure on you in lots of different areas. Uh, your own pressure internally on the way you think and feel your pressure around changing values, belief systems, paradigms, pressures around changing friendship groups, pressures around changing the environments you hang out in, pressures around uh, maybe leaving uh, partners or really changing relationships uh, to be the way that you want them to be. There's a huge pressure in growing your self-awareness, realizing that your part's activated, and then trying to break free from the safety of that. It's massive pressure, right? And then one last example is we all remember having an iPod, right? So for those of you that are resistant to change, you know, we always remember having an iPod. I remember traveling to Doncaster for work and I had my iPod and that five hours would fly by because it was like, oh my God, I got all my songs just in one place. But nobody has an iPod today. Right? And it, was, it wasn't that long ago that everybody loved them. Uh, nobody has them because the iPhone came along and rendered the iPod useless. So just trust that there is a massive power within you that could render your your current operating system redundant. So why are we attracting these type of people into our lives? Like really important, and we'll we'll open this up to conversation actually. Maybe we have people in our lives that we're viewing as constraints because we have judgments we want to release. Maybe there are patterns we want to break. Maybe the universe is inviting us to pay attention to our innate wisdom in our body. Maybe it's saying to us, hey, your part's activated with this person. Get into self. Uh, maybe we want to expand the possibility of who we can be. And we need the pressure of this situation or this person for us to get there. Maybe you want to discover where you resist in your life, physically or emotionally, and this person is challenging you in that area. Maybe you're learning to see your resistance for the first time and honor your note. Maybe you have unexpressed emotions that you want to acknowledge or feel. Uh, maybe there's it's just as simple as this something you've been unwilling to face. And this person is really pushing this in front of you, right? They're like a flashing beacon to it and you can't escape from it. And here are some key questions. And um, I'm going to open this up to, to talking today. But, you know, Glynis, Nikki, I really encourage you to get together, uh, the two of you, and just do a little teamwork on this and come together for an hour. Each of you having somebody who you are not viewing uh, as an ally united in the common goal for learning and growth. Or, you're, or you are, you're really trying, but you're, you're not yet embodied it, right? And then go through these questions and uh, ask each other these questions, you know? Uh, we could do some now, actually, but uh, I, I would suggest you get together and you go through all 11. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a few thank yous. First of all, I want to thank... Uh, you guys and girls for listening to this podcast and being supporters of it. Many people stop drinking alcohol just by listening to this podcast. I got a lot of people reaching out to me, thanking me for that, right? So give this to somebody as a gift today or rate and review 
podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast on your local podcast player and tell somebody about it, you could change somebody's life today. Okay. So thank you for listening and thank you in advice in advance for that piece of service. Also want to thank our producer, Stan. Um, Stan is still currently in the Ukraine fighting the war and producing our podcast while his family is somewhere else in the world right now. Okay. Apart from him. So Everybody, send out your prayers and your love. Stan, we love you. Thank you very much for everything you do here. For you out there, if you are starting to think about, contemplate, uh, reflect on your relationship with alcohol, you do not have to do this alone. Yes, you drink alone, but you don't have to stop alone, okay? And if alcohol is not your thing, but you are starting to feel that you actually are living a parts-led life, the ego is getting in the way too much, so you're not happy with the way life is going, then reach out to us at thestrivemethod at gmail.com. Just say, Lee, and just tell me what is on your mind, and we'll start to have that conversation. Strive community is a beautiful place where you can start to feel seen, heard, and matter. It's where you can get community, and it's where you can start practicing what we call the eight C's of self, our core values, right? Of creativity, curiosity, uh, connection, compassion, courage. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them, but there's eight of them, right? And we have our quest structure. So we have assignments, and they're really interesting, exciting. At the end of them, we say to you, come on, do this quest, right? Get involved in this challenge. Um, and strivers are really finding it exciting and they're working their challenges in these areas that are going to increase the amount of time they spend in self-energy in a state of flow. And that is has amazing repercussions for the relationship you grow with yourself and for how you how you reach out to others in their life, like how you parent, how you um, are as a child to your, not child, but a son or a daughter, how you are in your relationship with the person you share your bed with and how you behave with your employees, right? So reach out to me at strivemethod at gmail.com if you want to learn more. Okay, much love, everybody.